So this morning we are incredibly blessed to have uh, someone join us to speak, and uh, his name is Nathaniel Welch, and he hails from Northeast Ohio. No, I'm just kidding. Is that right, Northeast Ohio? <coughs> he, uh, what's up? I'm sure they have cornholes there. Uh, <laughs> he he got his bachelor's uh, in Ohio, uh, studying oboe performance, and and then ha you have a master's in music as well, right? And because he's so smart, he thought one master's, you know, it's not enough, right? I got to get two master's degrees, and so right now he's he's currently at the hatchery as well. You might have remembered Jessica, who spoke last year. Uh, he goes to school with Jessica at the hatchery, and uh, Nathaniel works specifically uh, creating a new church model, uh, primarily around art walks and uh, creating opportunities uh, for people with disabilities. Um, so join me in welcoming Nathaniel. So, um, the text this morning, um, the lectionary text for today is the story of the transfiguration, which is in your uh, little bulletin pamphlet there. Um, and it's a really interesting story. And, uh, I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to talk about with it. Um, but one of my favorite things to do is to find a little piece in like a passage like this and make a really big deal out of it. And so that's what I did, and you'll have to let me know what you think. Um, first, I want to start off by telling a story about uh, a friend of mine. Uh, we recently had a conversation, this was probably two weeks ago, and he was talking to me about um, a job that he had working in a school for students, children with severe mental illness or disabilities. Um, so these are kids who were too difficult for mainstream schools. They couldn't be in the classroom. They had to be removed and be in a whole separate building. Um, and so he, his job was sort of like a gym teacher. Uh, he was charged with, uh, you know, being physically, getting the students to be physically active. Um, and, and this was difficult for him for, for a couple of reasons, but none of them had to do with the students. Uh, most of it had to do with the administration and the rules and the regulations and all that sort of stuff because he felt that what the students really needed was not allowed by the rules in the school, right? And I, I've talked to a lot of friends like this who work in schools. I have a bunch of friends who have music education degrees, who teach music, or who work in public schools, or even higher education. There are certain boundaries between the student and the teacher that must be maintained at all times. And if you cross that boundary, that's a very serious offense, and you can get in a lot of trouble for doing that. And there are really, really, really good reasons for that. But what his situation sort of questions is how effective those boundaries really are at teaching the children that we want to teach, right? So in his example, he's got a student who is very uh, difficult. And it's not something that you know normal teachers in the classroom could handle. And he found that it wasn't just you know gym class that helped this student, but it was physical contact. It was wrestling with him, roughhousing with him, that really helped to change the life of this student. Um, so in, in a sense, the most beneficial thing he could do for the student is break the rules. 
And so he, we were just talking about this interesting tension um, because, uh, you know, touching a student is a very serious thing. But in this student's situation, that's exactly what he needed. He needed that physical contact, that physical touch. Um, I was talking with Ryan and his wife before we started. My wife is a doula, and I didn't know what that was, so if you don't know what that is, don't worry. A doula is sort of like a midwife, but without all of the medical degrees. So it's someone who helps and aids in childbirth. Um, and she's done a number of births back in, back in Ohio. Um, she teaches natural childbirth classes, and she's a lactation specialist. So she is, is, has had a lot of experience and has read a lot about natural childbirth. And of course, she's like, oh, you've got to read this. You gotta, oh, look at this new thing. Oh, here, you've got to read this. And I'm fascinated by it as well. And one thing that is very, very clear is the importance of skin-to-skin -skin contact for newborns, essential to their development later in life. In, in every way you can possibly imagine, being held and being touched right after you're born is, a, is critical, not just for the newborn, but for the mother as well, to create that bond and that connection. There's something about being close and touching and feeling the warmth and the heat from another human being that is essential to us as human beings. All right, so you may be asking, what does this have to do with the transfiguration? I'll get there in a second. But I want to talk a little bit about this, this uh, passage here, because what we have essentially is a sort of mountaintop experience, right? We've, we've all heard of the, you know, I'm going to go to the top of the mountain, and I'm going to something, experience God, have a revelation, whatever. You know, this is a very common experience throughout all religions. You, you, you see it happening across the globe as uh, a way of depicting a religious experience. And the transfiguration, I mean, that word literally, it means transformed. And that's what we see happening in the story, right? Jesus and Peter and James and, and John go to the top of the mountain, and Jesus is transformed there. The experience there has transformed him. And it's interesting because there's a, a parallel story in Exodus 24 with Moses, where Moses goes to the top of a mountain for 40 days and 40 nights and experiences God's presence and receives instructions for the tabernacle, which is what? The place where God dwells, right? So there's a connection to these mountaintop experiences and the presence of God. So what Moses does is he takes these instructions and they make the tabernacle, and now this is where God dwells, right? God dwells in this, in this place. He's no longer on the mountaintop. You don't have to get up to the mountain to experience God now. You can experience him in, in these places where the tabernacle is. So you can't really blame Peter for, for saying, like, oh, well, let's build a dwelling. Let's, let's make something, and we'll stay here, and it'll be great, right? Because that's, how, that's the frame of reference he's coming from, is this story of, of Moses building, getting the instructions for the tabernacle. And, and that's the mindset he has. He wants to be as close as possible to God's presence on the mountaintop. I want that, too. I love going to the mountains. I love being in, in a position like that, and I, I have put myself in that position a number of times to try to, to find some sort of experience, revelation, like an answer to something, you know? And I think that's very common. And so I, I don't blame Peter for saying that. It makes total sense to me that he would. But what I think becomes a problem is what happens after that. Because 
we inevitably have to come down from the mountain. We can't stay up there forever. As much as we would like to, we have to come down. And so then, because of this amazing experience we have, we want to tell everyone, you've got to go up the mountain. It's amazing up there. You're not going to believe what's up there. We've got to get everyone up the mountain. So you go and you tell your friend, go up the mountain. You've got to get everyone up the mountain. So now our goal is we've got to get everyone up the mountain. Everyone's got to come up to the mountain and experience God and the presence of God and the glory of God and all of these things. But there's a problem because mountains are shaped in a very particular way. I don't know if you know this. And it's not very easy to get everyone at the top of a mountain. It's just sort of geometry, you know, physics. It's not really possible to do that. So if you're at the top of the mountain, the closest to God, that means you have to get off the mountain and let someone else up there. And historically speaking, people at the top of the mountain do not like not being at the top of the mountain. It's, it's, it's not something that they enjoy. So what happens then is you sort of construct these these systems, right, that explain why the people at the top of the mountain are supposed to be at the top of the mountain. And Walter Brueggemann, one of my favorite theologians, calls it a trickle-down justice or trickle-down order, right? We've all heard of trickle-down economics, and we know how well that works. And so we, we seem to, to construct these, these systems that say, oh, well, those at the top, the king is at the top, right? The emperor is at the top, uh, and, and that's where he should be, and then he will disseminate the order and the justice from the top of the mountain to the rest of us who can't get up there, and this is how it is. That's just how it is. But, and this is why I think this story is really interesting, um, the transfiguration story, and, and Jesus' ministry in general, is because what he does is says, well, it's not that we need to get everybody up to the top of the mountain, it's that we need to take the experience of God at the top of the mountain and bring it down into the city, into the places where people are. That's what we need to do. So I, I, I want to put this in a little bit of context because immediately before the story of the transfiguration, we have a, a, you know, a pretty famous verse, I would think, where Jesus says, if anyone to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. So keeping that in mind, it sort of changes the context of this mountaintop experience that Jesus had, right? If we want to truly find life, we must be willing to come down off the mountain to where uh, where our cross is at. Because that's what he does. He comes off the mountain and marches to Jerusalem, to his death, to suffering on the cross. And that's what he's saying. If we want to find our life, we must be willing to lose it. We must be willing to get off the mountaintop and go to the places where people are suffering. And right after this verse, the transfiguration, in the next chapter, chapter 18, the disciples, who often don't get this sort of stuff, Jesus tries to tell them, and they're like, oh, okay, what, wait, uh, huh? They still don't get it. And so they're like, hey, Jesus, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? You know, like, come on, who's going to be the greatest? Right? Like, this is what they're thinking about. And Jesus, like, picks up a child that's nearby and says, like a child, this is who's going to be the greatest. If you want to get into the kingdom of heaven, be like a child. Stop trying to be so great. And so this brings me back to why I was talking about the children earlier and the importance of touch. Because as difficult as it can be to come off the mountaintop, it doesn't end there. It, there's another step. It's not just coming off the mountaintop, but it's 
going to where people are and being with them in their pain and in their suffering, like children. And children are vulnerable, right? By their very nature, they are open and receptive. They need to be. I mean, biologically, like I was talking about earlier, it, it's essential to their development. They have to be vulnerable. When babies, human babies are born, they are not as developed as other animals are, right? Other animals, when they're born, start walking almost immediately and can fend for themselves and run away from predators. Humans are not like that. We sort of develop halfway in the womb and the other half outside of the womb. And so being physically held and touched is extremely important. So if we're going to come down off the mountain, that's good. That's halfway there. The other half is, like a child, we need to be open to the world. The poem that Jesse read earlier starts, you feel safe here with this distance of infinite inches between us. In this dance, we are dancing without touch. And I think that that is the big danger when we do that, when we go into these places where there are people suffering and in pain, is we want to be helpful to them, but we want to keep our distance. We don't want to get too close because it's dangerous and it's hard to do that. Touch is the one sense that is reciprocal. Think about it. You can't touch someone else without yourself being touched. It's not true for any of the other senses. You can smell someone without being smelled. You can see someone without yourself being seen. But not with touch. If you touch someone, you are also being touched. So there's a reciprocity there. And there's a vulnerability there that goes both ways. Now, obviously, I think it goes without saying, just like I mentioned with the story earlier, that touch is dangerous and it can be used for good or for evil. And so this is an incredibly sensitive topic, and I, I want to be sensitive to that, no pun intended. Uh, so I think that we need to keep in mind that there are countless instances where touch can be abusive or violent, and we need to be sensitive to that. But if we're going to be followers of Jesus, then we need to be open and vulnerable to people, and that requires physical contact. I think. Another line in the, uh, in the story, or in the poem, excuse me. Um, I await the estacada, the mirror shattering, the closing of the eyes, the rest of the seed, the re-transformation to earth. The blade of touch grows too keen by the submission. The estacada is the moment when a uh, matador in a bullfight takes the sword and pierces the heart of the bull. That's what the estacada is. And so in that example, in the poem, we can see how touch is, is a, a violent act, yet it's also a, a life-giving act. Because as the blade is piercing the bull, it also brings transformation at the same time. So perhaps this is why Jesus tells us to be like children, you know, because transformation is ignited by touch. And so this is the little thing that I, 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 I was mentioned earlier that I, I picked out and wanted to make a big deal out of. Now you see in this, in verse 7, after the disciples heard God say, this is my beloved son, whom I, I am well pleased, listen to him. Then they were terrified, fell on their faces, and they were shaking and scared. But Jesus came and touched them. Why? Why would they put, like, why is that important? Why would they put that in there? And what's interesting is in the earlier story in Exodus, it explicitly says that God did not touch the men of Israel before going up to the mountain. And here we have Jesus touching them. It was made explicit. 
And it's kind of funny because Jesus is always touching people, isn't he? He's always getting his hands dirty. I feel like it's really common anywhere you go to hear parents say, don't touch that. Stop. Don't touch that. Stop it. Don't put, stop. Just put that down. Do not touch that. All the time, right? We always tell our kids, don't touch that. Stop touching that. That's what they want to do. They want to touch everything. And that's what Jesus says. He's like, I'm just going to touch everything. Just like a kid. He's like a kid. Like a child. Asking us to be like a child. To touch everything. To be open and to be vulnerable. So while, you know, we are oftentimes very busy trying to get up to the top of the mountain, or trying to get everyone else up to the top of the mountain, and that is hard work, and it's important work, and I don't want to diminish that in any way. But I, I think that this story says that there is an even harder work to do, which is to be in contact with people, to touch people who are suffering and who are vulnerable, and to allow ourselves to be touched as well. So through that piercing touch, we are simultaneously opening to the suffering of others and the imparting, the, and, and imparting the presence of God as well. Because when Jesus touches someone, it's not just that they are touched by God, but he is touched by them. He receives and experiences their pain and their suffering just as they receive and experience the presence of God. So he tells us that in a weird way, if we really want to experience the sacred, the divine, if we really want to experience God, God's presence, it isn't going to be found at the top of the mountain. But strangely, it's going to be found in the most human of activities, in touching and coming into contact with one another. So, you know, like, like my friend's story at the beginning, um, there are a lot of rules that we come up against every day that sort of tell us not to do these, not to cross this boundary. I, I'm married. I've been married for almost five years. And my wife's not here right now, so I can tell this story. Every time we get into an argument, I want to, I want to say, hey, hey, what, let's talk about this. And she pulls away, no. I want to stay mad at you. Don't touch me. Because if I touch her, then she knows she's not going to be able to, to stay mad at me anymore. And I know that if I try to, like, hold her hand, then, then we can talk about this. And she, if she wants to stay mad, she pulls out, don't touch me. Don't touch me. Anybody watch Arrested Development? Anybody know that show? No touching. <laughs> no. So I, I think that what this story in the Transfiguration, you know, when you put it in context, when you look at where, where it's coming from and where it's going, what it's really saying is that it is through touch that we share in the lives of those around us. When we open ourselves up to receive the pain and the suffering of others, they open themselves up to us as well. And something happens in that moment that can't be accounted for any other way. The presence of God, the sacredness, the divine glory is experienced in those very human moments of touching others. Thank you. Let's just stand one more time. We're going to sing our song. And you guys can be on your way. It's so beautiful outside right now. <laughs>
Time. 